the 14th verse. My, my message this morning is brief. How many believe that? Three. <laughs> Those of you that believe it's brief, we are honoring our dads this week. I received a phone call from my spiritual father, Pastor Billy, encouraging me this morning. I text some of my spiritual sons, encouraging them. And uh, there's something special about, about Father's Day. The word says to honor your mom and your dad. And uh, we usually go all out for mom. And uh, I think dads, there should be no exception. And we honor today the oldest father in the building, which is my father, turned 83 Wednesday. Um, he's here with us today. Uh, I've, I have never, ever heard my father use a bad word. I've never, ever seen my father smack my mom. I have seen my mom smack my dad, but I haven't seen my dad smack my mom. Taught me integrity. He likes to fish. I like to fish. He likes to hunt. I like to hunt. He likes to study. I don't like to study. Uh, has an earned doctorate. Does not make any boast about it, but did all the, did all the school for all of that. And it's always an honor to have he and my mom in the house. There's always a lot of pressure to preach when he's here because he's preached for years and years and years. And so hopefully I learned some of his good habits. And he doesn't have any bad habits, but hopefully I'll just d display the good habits. I also want to honor this morning the youngest father in the building, which happens to be Angel. Angel and Courtney, those of you that uh, uh, do not know, are with child. Like my mom, Courtney got pregnant on her honeymoon. How scary is that? And so we don't know whether it's a boy or a girl, but we do know that there is life in her womb. And uh, so we honor Angel today, which I have no idea where they're at. So if you'll let them know we did honor them. I was going to give them three free tickets to Disney World, but since they aren't here to claim it, I'm going to give it to my mechanic, Jay Dennison. Oh, oh Pastor Day. The, I had free tickets for the youngest father. He's not here. I guess I'll have, to, I'll have to enjoy that. As we step into this particular thought or particular theme, there are so many incredible directions you could go when you talk about the father. Uh, the word father is found over 1,500 times in the Bible. Ironically, the word son is found almost 3,000 times in the, in the Bible. So the Bible gets a lot of focus concerning dads, and their kids. You'll read in some of the Old Testament where a son followed after the righteousness of his dad, or you'll find the son followed after the evil of his dad. It's ironic the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, and most of us, whether we like it or not, probably have some of the tendencies of our father, our grandfather, two or three generations, and, and, that's, and that's where it's at, and that's, that's what that is all about. But as I Think of the word father, and, and we've all, my whole life, I called my dad daddy until somewhere around 18 or 19, I started calling him dad. I don't know what the transition was about. I guess a grown man smoking pot, you didn't want to say, my daddy, hello, you want to be cool and say dad, you know. I anyway, um, there's so many different names of our father, and in Luke 11 and 2, when the disciples came to Jesus, most of them had been mentored by John the Baptist when they said, teach us to pray, as John taught us to pray, uh, Jesus said, when you pray, say our Father. The Hebrew language is a, a little stiff and a little legalistic, and there really was not a good word 
in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language does not have any vowels, just consonants. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there really wasn't a good word for, for father. So Jesus adopted a Greek word, Abba, which means daddy. So the word says, when you pray, say, our daddy, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then we're introduced to the names of God. And several times in scripture, God will introduce himself in a different name, same God, different names. There are several hundred references in the Bible to the names of God, to the names of Christ, and many, many great E.W. Kenyon has written a great book. Lester Summerall has written a great book on the names of God. And just studying the names of God, you, you begin to realize the attributes and I guess not just the credibility, but the resume of your father. And when you start researching the greatness and the goodness of your father, you realize you can't lose. You can't lose. Romans 8 and 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God, for you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Notice verse 18. For I reckon, good old southern term there, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed not to us, but in us. A powerful statement the Apostle Paul is making is, is saying that it's not the fact that God is lost. I remember I, share, I shared a testimony with one of my friends and I said, I found God when I was tw 12 and I found God when I was 16 and I found God when I was 20. And my friend said, you didn't find God. God wasn't lost. God found you. God set you up for restoration. God set you up for healing. God puts us strategically where we need to be and what we need to hear. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And there's something called God's Spirit that quickens us and lets us know that we, who we are, what we are, and what we need to be. And like any dad training his son or a daughter, God's always pushing us to be better. God's always pushing us to be, to be sharper, smarter. God's always pushing us to be more compassionate, to be more passionate about the things of life. And if you look through the Bible, you'll find a God that laughs. He's the God of laughter. Isaac means the son of laughter. He's, a, he's the God of an attitude. He's jealous over you. You're special to him. You're the apple of his eye. If God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And right now he's walking around heaven showing you off. That, that's right because the, the things we learn as a dad, we learn that maybe not from our natural dad. Maybe we didn't have a great natural dad, but we learned that from our spiritual father whose seed is in us. It comes alive when we speak. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. When we speak, Father, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I confess my sins. I ask your son to come to my heart. Make, make me a part of the family. It happens. And I don't think that anything can blot your name out or anything can erase your name from the Lamb's Book of Life except your own choice. Right. People ask, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow this or why does God allow that? Exactly that. God allows that. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. It's all a part of the circle of life. And one day the song says, cheer up, my brother. Look to the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. There will come a day when we will sit down with God and we'll say, why did I go through that? Why, was this, why, why, was it, why did this happen? Why did that take place? And you know what? He'll have an answer and then it'll make sense. 
it'll make sense that our steps are ordained, orchestrated, and, are, and, and ordered by the Lord. Three things. He speaks your steps. He orchestrates your steps to music. He's a God of music, the Bible says. Is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it's the Lord himself exalting over you in happy song. How crazy is that? The other day I had, I had Bailey and I was singing to her. I was singing, and I won't, I won't bore you with my voice because it's not all that great. I've never been asked to sing at a wedding or a funeral, which has really hurt my feelings. I, if you would like me to sing at your wedding or funeral, would you put, that, put it down in writing and threaten your kids that you'll come back from the grave to haunt them if you don't let them? But I was singing to her, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And what is so cool that somewhere in heaven, wherever God's at, he's looking down, looking at us and singing, you are my sunshine. I mean, how cool is that that God sings over us in the night? You shall have a song in the night. And it comes from the presence and it comes from the favor of God. Contrary to what religion and doctrine and legalism says, God loves us. How cool is that? God loves us. The Bible says if we are sons, then there are things that we inherit, not just in this life. And we go through seasons of good times, bad times. The Bible says there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to sow. There's a time to reap. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up. And unfortunately, the Bible says there is a time to die. I said goodbye to a very precious friend of mine, very much involved in my life, 16 years Jeremiah said, if I had a lodging place in the wilderness, I have a place in South Georgia. I have my own wall. Pastor Ron, as you know, will not allow me to put any dead animals on the wall in our house. But I have my own wall in South Georgia. And then I've got four trophy deer. I've got a javelin. I've got a hog. I've got a bobcat. I've got a fox. So, some, something else is there. I can't remember what it was. Now I forgot to memorize my wall. But I, I have a place that I can go to. It's a place... And the only thing I don't like this place is that it's a gnat hell. I mean, gnats hate me. They seek me out. They find me. They, and they're so irritating. They're so frustrating. Can anybody rely? Maybe like a nagging wife. A gnat is like a gnat. Maybe I should. I, I don't have a nagging wife, but if you have a nagging wife, you could tell her. Matter of fact, we are in trouble. We are deep. I am probably not going to get out of this one. It is Father's Day, so I ask for mercy and I ask for grace. May Pastor Rhonda forgive me. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the point that I was making, and I don't even remember what the point was. I'm sure that it was a good one. Is, is that there, there is an, there is an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, and everything I read about heaven is cool. There's a movie that says heaven is real. I have met someone that actually died, and went to heaven for just a few minutes, and he, he will be with us a little later in the year. But shares not just a light at the end of the tunnel. But he shares talking with Abraham, Saul's great-grandmother, said there really is a place where the lion lays down with the lamb, and we will study war no more. So we have that to look forward to at the end of life. But I don't want to get to the end of life and enjoy my spoils. I want to ha enjoy some of the things that God has for me now right, right here in this place. And I believe there are blessings, and I believe there's favor. But the Bible says, I, I don't consider the sufferings I'm going through equal with the glory that I'm going to partake in. So we, we know there are storms, we know there are struggles, we know there are, there are, there's conflict in life, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And if I stay real close to my notes, we will not be here very long. How many believe that? Oh, I did. Thank you, Jack. Yeah. I, you can have those free tickets to Disney World, Jack. I'll bless you and, and your child. A couple things about, about the, the name, about the Father. 1 Corinthians 4 and 15 says that, you have thousands 
of instructors, but not many fathers. Pastor Ron and I combined probably have at least 2,500 to 3,000 books. Most of those books are how-to books. How to be a better husband, how to be a better dad, how to get your finances in order, how to walk in the gift of spirit, how to take authority over demons. So most of those books in our library are instructors. They instruct us how to do something, how to, how to be better at something, how to overcome something, how to be healed through something. So we have thousands of people speaking into our life, and we know that wrong voices, wrong choices, but there is a voice speaking into our life. And that's, that's, the, that's the voice of, of God the Father. So we have thousands of instructors, but not many fathers. We are a part of a generation today unlike any other generation. It is a generation where it seems like many dads have abandoned their children. Many, many, many husbands have abandoned their wives. And it works the other way. We have wives that abandon the husband. We have moms that abandon the children. But the Bible says that true religion, look at somebody and say, true religion... It's not based on how you dress or what you wear or how much money you put in the offering or what church you go to or what you confess or what bumper sticker is on the back of your, your car. But true religion is that we take care of the widows and the orphans. That's a transition that God has called us into. And as we are blessed, we find ministries that do that. We're involved in those ministries about every week we feed somebody about every week we help somebody with their electric about every week there's a special need and uh, i thought it was kind of ironic we had a lot of a lot of food given to us last week along with those foods was some mres i don't know if you know what that means meals ready to eat they're military and uh so we told the family that came said listen you can have all this food take all the food you want and ironically they left the mres i don't know i guess I guess they must not be all that great or all that wonderful, but it, I read the directions last week on the, on the back. It looks dangerous. It looks like if you put an MRE in your body, you're convinced that no deadly thing shall hurt you, and you shall take up serpents and take authority over all of that. But we have not, we have not many fathers, but there is a father. Proverbs 34 asks the question, what is his name and what is his son's name? And we think about names, Proverbs 22 and 1 says that a good name is better than treasure. A good name is better than wealth. And I don't, I don't know if you put much thought into your, your son or daughter's name, but in the Old Testament, there was a lot of thought put into the name of a son or a daughter or put in the name of a place where they would name an altar or they would name an experience they had with God. I learned today that the word Kenneth means knowledge. So if your name is Kenneth, you're supposed to be smart. I learned that Diana means divine. So if your name is Diana, you're supposed to be divine. We name Courtney, which means in the presence of the king, in the king's court, and she is a worshiper. My name is Enrique. I don't know that it means anything at all. I don't think a whole lot of thought went into my name when I was named. I was named after a very wealthy uncle. When he died, he left me nothing. So I changed my name to Hank, and that's what I signed on my driver's license, and that is my name. But when you think about... When you think about names, you think about Philadelphia, the, the, the city of brotherly love. I did some research on the word Cleveland. And you may or may not know this, but during the Civil War, this city refused to get involved in the battle. This, this city refused to take place civil, the, 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 help me, the, 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 
northern or southern, that, that, that'll do it one. The, 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 they, they, they refuse the union. They refuse to get involved. When, when we were going through the Civil War, there were already eight denominations represented in this city. We were actually named after a man, a great man that blessed this city. And Cleveland was established because there was a lot of fresh water springs and people would come with their covered wagons and their empty barrels and they would fill their barrel with water and take it back uh, to, their, to their place of residence. And how cool today that Cleveland is a place that hosts so many great ministries and so many great organizations and so many great denominations. And if you look close enough, you'll find something you don't like about every ministry, every denomination, every organization. But it is interesting how, for some reason, Cleveland has hosted some of the greatest ministries in the nation and some of the greatest ministries in the world. I went to preach for a guy in Sylacauga, Alabama, Tough church, tough meeting, tough revival. He was having a tough time. Get ready to quit. He said, I have never seen gossip, and I've never seen strife, and I've never seen just, just lack of communication. This, this city just seemed like these are, these are the way the people are. And I said, well, what, 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 is your, what does your name mean? What does Silicaga? Who named it? What, where did that name come from? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you find out? And the next day he came and he said, Silicaga is an Indian name. The Indians named this city Silicaga, and it means buzzard's roost. Well, how appropriate. So, you know, sometimes I don't think we put enough emphasis on names like we ought to, and I think that every baby uh, should be named after me, Henry. That's such a great name, Henry VIII. I am, I am. As we look at the, at the names of God, if you go with me to the book of Judges, and we're not going to judge anybody today, the judgment will come next week when we see how you do the lawnmower and the Republican song. Thank you, Miss Connie. When I want your opinion, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> Judges 6. Cool story. I want to share just a few verses. When God brought his people out of bondage, he brought them out with the wealth of a nation. They literally left with the wealth of Egypt. They had thousands of oxen. They had thousands of donkeys. They had thousands of goats. They, they were very, very wealthy, wealthy people. Through the corridors of time, through disobedience and, and, and having an affair with the gods of the land, they lost everything. And there was a nation that was determined to take them out just as there still is a source a day that would like to destroy every Jew, every part of God's, of that, Abra that Abrahamic co covenant. But they found themselves in a place where things were really, really bad. And they were in a drought. They were going through starvation. Things were bad. And we find this guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon has planted just a little food plot in the shade of a wine press. And the fact that it's in the shade of the wine press, wine represents joy. They'd lost their joy. Let me tell you something. Lack of finances will steal your joy. Sickness and disease will steal your joy. Oppression and depression will steal your joy. I believe you can be the wealthiest man in the city and still be miserable. I don't know that money answers all things or Xanax answers all things, but I believe that every one of us can find ourselves in a place where we have lost our joy and we're in a place where we are barely surviving. Can anybody relate? We're just... We're just going from not just paycheck to paycheck, but we're writing checks on Friday 
that we know the money's not going to be there till Monday, and we pray there's a bank holiday, so we have till Tuesday to make the deposit. Do I have a friend in the building? We're going through our kids' stuff, and we're selling their Cabbage Patch dolls. We're selling their Barbies. We're selling furniture that nobody wants anymore, or maybe furniture that, that we do want. We'll, go, we'll have a flea market, and we'll sell something of great value for 15 cents. Do I have a flea market person in the building? It's amazing some of the things you can find at flea markets. One man's junk is another man's treasure, but when you bring it home, your wife calls it junk. Do I have a friend in the building? So, so Gideon has found himself in a really, really tough place, a really, really tough time, and he's actually hiding this, this food plot from those that are trying to take away and kill and destroy. He's, he's actually working and, and hiding this, and the Bible says, the angel of the Lord, as you research this, this is the Lord before he took on physical form. This is, the, this, is, this is Jesus incarnate before he was the flesh, he was the word. The Lord shows up and starts to talk to Gideon, says some pretty interesting things. You know what, I thought if, if you would allow me to, uh, just for a moment, since I don't have a whole lot to say today, I'll just read a few verses with you. Verse 7. Came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God gives them pretty clear direction, pretty clear word. I'm going to bless you going in. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to let you be the head, not the tail. I'm going to let you loan and not borrow. The, the borrower is subject to the lender. I'm not going to let you be in that bondage, but I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take the wealth of the wicked. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give it to you. And the only thing I would really like for you to do is to obey my, obey my voice. And the audible voice came to Joshua in the first chapter, in the eighth verse, and it says, this book of the law, what is the, what is the voice of God? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there and day and night, though thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written in the word. Then thou shalt be prosperous and shall have good success. How many knows there's bad success? I've shared with you some of my stories of some of my friends that are multimillionaires, they're, they're, multi, they're, they're multi-wealthy but they have no joy. They've lost their joy. They've lost their, they've, they've, lost, they've, just, they've just lost something in life. The only thing that seems to bring them pleasure is travel or wine or, 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 or spending money on, on, on absorbent gifts, which uh, doesn't last very long. How many knows you can only wear two watches at once? How many knows you can drive one car at once? Or, or maybe, how many of you can live in one house? But, you know, having stuff and having accumulation of stuff is not necessarily what brings joy. What brings joy and what brings success is finding out what the Word of God says about you and then doing it. Pastor Ronda shares a message of a king. He was a young king, and there were some pretty tight times going on in war, and he was reading the Scripture, and all of a sudden he found his name, and his name had been put in Scripture a hundred years earlier. And as he read that name, it says, this king of Cyrus, this is, what, this is what this king is going to do. Had no clue his name was in the Bible, had no clue what his destiny and purpose was, but read that, turned his life around, and actually fulfilled the, the prophecy that was written about him. I think there are prophecies in this book that are written about you. I think there are promises in this book that are written about you. I think there's favor in this book that's written by you. And I, 
written for you. And I like that song we used to sing when we were little kids. Every promise in the book is, is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I am feasting on his word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. The challenge with many of us, we are not aware of some of the promises that God has provided us. Do I have a friend in the house? Verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash, the Ebenezerite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, let me, let me just take a moment right here and tell you the last story to make sure we get to the last story. God raises Gideon up with an army of 300. How many ever saw the, the, the movie 300? Shame on you. That was R-rated, had nudity in it, and you obviously didn't call your mom to make sure it was Okay. But it's a powerful movie of how 300 men, I believe, that, I believe that Abraham had 300 men, and he went and saved the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's something that you can do with people that are in agreement. I am told that they have measured what an ox can do, but when they hook that up with another ox, they don't do twice as much. They do four times as much. How scary is that? There's something about the power of agreement. God didn't want the multitude of the army. God narrowed them down to, to 300 men, and they complete. Well, they didn't, but they just stood and made some noise, and God completely wiped the enemy out, and it took them three days to gather all the spoils because in those days they didn't have safes. They didn't have banks. They didn't have vaults. They had no place to put their, their wealth, and nobody trusted anybody, so they took all their wealth to the battleground. So when they got killed, they got to strip all the wealth from the body. And that sounds good. How many would just like permission to spend one hour in Walmart, no holds barred, that you, you, could, you could, as much stuff as you could get out of the building, the parking lot, in one hour, that would all be yours. I would go straight to the gun section, then I'd go to the fish and lure section. I probably wouldn't go to the socks and underwear section, but there's probably another section I would go to. But that's what, that's what fighting for God did. Through the history of time, every battle they ever fought, they, when they killed everybody, they got to get all their gold and all their silver and all their fine linen, all their, all their treasure. So that's the end of the story. The story ends good. Look at somebody say, it has a good ending. It's a good story. The story that God has about you is a good story. There are good chapters in your life. There are good chapters in your, in, in your spirit. There's going to be some bad chapters too, and let me hurry so we can get to that. So when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, it says, Gideon, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Notice Gideon's opinion of himself. When they sent the spies into the land, the spies came back and said, the giants are too big to hit. When, David's, when, jo when Joshua spent spies into the land, they came back and said, the giants are too big to miss. What an attitude. We were grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so were we grasshoppers in our enemies' eyes. A lot of times, the way we see ourselves, we assume everybody else sees us like that, but that's not what God speaks over you. God says that you are a son of God, led by the Spirit of God, and have the inheritance of God. Everything that God has is for you if you have the courage and you have the, I won't use that word, if you have the courage and the guts to go after it and get it. Do I have a friend in the house? And so Gideon says, notice Gideon's attitude. He's been addressed as a mighty man of valor. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why? Let me stop right there. Some things going on right now in my life, some things going on right now as a pastor, some things going on right now 
in counseling. I spent a lot of time doing crisis counseling. And so I just wanted, just for a minute, I just wanted to factor in some things that are going on every day in our lives that Gideon could have said. If I'm a mighty man of God, then why, and this is not my dad, but it's, a, it's one of my loved one's dads, then why is my dad, who all of his life lived for the Lord, all of his life worked hard, all of his life tied and gave offering and took care of the church, then why is my dad struggling with Alzheimer's and he doesn't know who I am anymore? If God is so good, then, then, then why is my dad where he's at? If, if, if I'm a mighty man of valor and God is so good, then why is my wife divorcing me, trying to destroy my relationship with my kids, and trying to take all of my assets and all my wealth? If God is so good, then why is that taking place? If God is so good and I'm such a mighty man of valor, then why am I broke? Why am I three payments behind? Why am I getting phone calls and letters that saying they're about to take away my house? I've been there 20 years. I've been paying on it for 20 years, and I missed three payments, and they have the right to come and take it. Do I have a friend in the house? If God is so good and I'm a mighty man of valor, then why is my mom dying of cancer? She lived her whole life for you, served God her whole life, raised godly kids. Why, why, why are you allowing this to happen? If I'm a mighty man of valor, then why am I so depressed? Why can I not wait till nighttime to medicate, to take my medicine, go to bed? Why do I not want to get out of bed in the morning? Why do I see everything half empty? Why, 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 why is my brain thinking what it's thinking? Why, why am I so liturgic and why am I so frustrated? Why am I so just, just sad and, and, and full of grief all the time? If, if, if God is so good and I'm a mighty man, then why am I bound by drugs and alcohol? Why can't I break this curse? Why can't I stay clean? Why can't I just say no to alcohol? Why can't I just say no to illegal or abuse prescription drugs? Why, why, am, why am I in such bondage if I'm such a mighty man of God? If I'm such a mighty man of God and God is all that in a bag of chips, then why do I deal with grief every day over aborted baby? Why can I not get a breakthrough? Why can, I, why can I not see the light? Why can I not get some kind of restoration, some kind of healing? We have a lifelong friend, very much involved in prison, will probably die in prison if the Lord does not divinely intervene, has three praise and worship teams, has three Bible studies. He has impacted that prison. There's revival in that prison. He's been in prison for 12 years. Friday night, they came at midnight, packed all of his stuff in a box, kept his books, kept his guitar, and shipped him out to another prison. If God's so great, I'm a mighty man of valor, then why, 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 am, I, why am I in prison over something I did not do? Why am I, I going to die in this prison away from my grandkids, didn't get to go to my son's wedding, didn't get to see their babies being born, probably won't get to see their babies get married? If, if God is so good, then, then why am I where I'm at? If God is all that great, I'm a mighty man of valor, then why am I bankrupt? Why am I, why am I living from paycheck to paycheck? Why, why am I where I'm at financially? Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh, the Manessanites. The say that fast three times. The Manessanites, Manessanites, Manessanites were called men of understanding, men of wisdom, men of... Un they weren't just smart. They knew how to apply their, their, their knowledge. But they had lost their wisdom. They had lost, they had lost their way. They had lost their... Something had happened. The entire nation had turned its back on God. And I want, to be, I want to be very careful, but I want to say we are living in some very, very scary, dangerous times. And I'm not afraid of losing my nonprofit tax-exempt status. I'll say what I feel like God wants me to say. 
I think our president is way out of order. I think he's way out of line. I think he's a Muslim. I think he's going he's to appoint everyone that's a Muslim that he possibly can. I think we're in trouble. What does the Bible say? To pray for our president. And I'm praying that he'll have a divine revel. I'm praying that God will touch him. I'm praying that something that there will be a fleece, that something will take place, that he will get a breakthrough. He will turn things around. But if we continue to go in the direction we're going, it's like we've got this copier. And if we need more money, we just go out and make some more money. And as we begin to put that money out and we don't have the gold or the silver to back it up, and many of you are way more knowledgeable than we are, but our country is one phone call away from bankruptcy. One phone call. If China calls and demands their no, we're bankrupt. And China, China could actually come in and start rebuilding. Well, let me get off the political because I, I don't want to get there because I may run for mayor one day and I'm going to be careful what, I, what I've said. Gideon, vote for me for mayor. Free coffee on Monday. Free dental work on Wednesday. I'll give you a pot of gold in the rain. And that, that sounds like a Democrat. Sorry about that. I'd be careful. I could have said that about Republicans too. Let me get where I, where I need to go. They had lost their way. Let me tell you something. Being where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do is risky, is dangerous. We're going into territory that if, if we don't equip ourselves, we will not survive. Uh, the past three days, most of you know that I've been in South Georgia, and uh, I am, have favor with the largest watermelon grower in the world. I have favor with him, and he has 10,000 acres. I hunt about 200 acres. That's really all I need to hunt, but he has a 35-acre a cypress lake, and I don't know if you've ever seen a cypress lake, but it's got, I, I could probably say thousands of cypress trees just growing up in the lake, and there's little channels, there's little areas, and we got in there, and we were doing some buzz bait, we were doing some rivet frogs, and we were killing the bass. We were literally killing the bass, but it was an environment that we were not prepared for. We did not wear sunblock, so we got sunburned. Sometimes when you get in the battle, there's going to be some wounds. There's going to be some things happen when you try to do the right thing. Do I have a friend in the building? As we got deeper into the swamp, we bumped a cypress tree that had a bush in it, and something just whacked the back of my head. And I looked at Dennis to ask him what was going on, and these wasps just nailed him like three times. And that night, his mouth got, got as big as a cantaloupe, and it's, it got this great big old swollen right here. And... Uh, I told him it could have been worse. He said, what could be worse? This is worse than hip surgery. I said, it could have been me. <laughs> Hello. When you're in that environment, I, I ran into Mr. Copeland there at uh, Nana's funeral. And he said, man, he said, you can hunt and fish anytime you want. Bring your friends anytime you want. We got to dock. Here's a little miniature pontoon boat, a trolling motor live whale. We get back in there, get back in there. And then we actually see an alligator longer than the boat. I've got this wild and crazy idea. The, the bank is so overgrown, I'm going to take a chainsaw and level a patch, just a, a small area. Then I'm going to take about 10 dead chickens and let them get really rotten, really, really smelly. I'm going to put them in the bank. Then I'm going to have Dennis drop me off in the boat. I'm going to climb a tree and set up there with a high-powered rifle. And when that alligator comes out there to eat that, I mean, how stupid eat dead chicken? Anybody eats dead chicken deserves to be shot with a high-powered rifle. And so I'm going to get up in that tree. And I tell him, Pastor Todd, last night, he said, you're going to stay in the swamp, in a tree stand, over where the alligator lives? I go, yeah. He goes, you ain't right. 
You just ain't, you just ain't right. But sometimes when, when you get in the environment of the world, if you're not careful, you're going to get sunburned. You're going to be bitten. There's going to be scary things out there. You read the book by Dr. Seuss, The Places You Go. Sometimes you run into some really scary characters, but God has provided and has declared that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Do I have a friend in the building that would give the Lord a hand clap of praise? And I will, I will bring this to closure. I've got a couple more notes, but I believe that, I believe that I'm ready to go to the next place that I need to go. Let me make sure. Oh, okay. Sometimes I can't read my own writing, even though I just wrote it. Is that scary? When Gideon gets a mandate from God, he goes to some altars that were built for Baal. Baal. And his dad had built the altars. And Gideon, in the night, for fear of doing it in the day, took a couple of guys... They trashed the altars and built an altar for God and put a sacrifice on it. The next day when the residents woke up to see their altars trashed and there was a new altar, they began to inquire, who, who did this? Who came in here and just trashed our altars and built this other altar? And they found out it was Gideon. And so they go to Gideon's dad and they say, bring your son forth that we may kill him for what he has done to our altars. And Gideon's dad does not profess to be a believer, does not profess to be that, that great of a guy. And a matter of fact, he helped build some of the altars of Baal. Here's what he said. Let Baal, if he's a god, defend himself. If one man can tear down your god, it's not much of a god. And the point that I, the point that I want, to make, want to make there is that whatever comes against you, whatever tries to hurt you, or wound you, when you realize who your dad is. We used to sing a song, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's bigger than yours. My dad's bigger because he eats kennel ration. My, oh, wait, 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 that was dog. My dog's bigger. I'm sorry. But when you, when you go, when you go through life and you realize who your dad is and who your father is, and you realize when you accept him in your heart, he lives there, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's going to be some tough times. Tough times happen, but, but they never last. Robert Schuler wrote that book. Tough times, tough times happen, but tough people last. So what's in this book for you is going to give you the strength to go through anything you could possibly go through. I posted today in loving memory of those that do not have a dad this Father's Day because he's gone on to heaven and those have children because they've gone on to heaven that we have this promise that the dead Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive that remain shall be caught up together in them the clouds to be with the Lord. I just, I just want to encourage Carmen that, that, that we are going to see him again. We are going to see David again. I want to, Dennis was coming this morning. We are going to see his mom again. Those of you that lost loved ones and friends, you will reconnect with them. What you've got to realize, they're already there. You've got to make sure you're ready to go. There was a guy having some tough times in every area of his life. Money, marriage, just every area of his life. Was invited to a little country church. He went. There was a guy, there was a guy preaching and telling a story. And the story he told, that there was a dad who took his son and his son's best friend out fishing. And 
as they were out there in the, in, the, in the fishing environment, there was a storm, and the boat capsized. And the dad, just being by himself with no other help, only had the ability to save one of the kids, and he saved the son's best friend. And he let his son drown. Preacher told a story, altar call, went back to the door to shake hands with the guests. And the guy walked up to him and said, you know, that's a pretty ludicrous story you just shared. He said, no dad would risk their son and save somebody else. That dad would have went after his son first and saved him. And the preacher looked at that guy and said, let me tell you who I am. I'm the kid that was saved. And that's my best friend's dad right there in the front row. Gave his son's life so that I could live. Pastor Ron and I have a, a, a friend that he was in a canoe with his, with his son. And there was a storm. The canoe capsized. And the, the father got the son on top of the canoe and told the son to hold on the canoe. And the son lived and the dad died. Two stories. One story, the son dies that somebody else could live. One story, the dad dies when somebody else could live. Let me tell you something. Two people died at Calvary. Not just Jesus, but his dad. When he looked down and saw his son and turned away, something on the inside of him had to scream out. The God of the creator of the ends of the earth had to moan. There had to be some kind of emotion. There had to be some kind of feeling. There had to be some kind of, some kind of mental ability. How can I do this different? How can I turn this around? But he let his son die so that you and I could be adopted in the family of God and be a part of God's church and a part of God's house. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed.